creating a warm, inviting, inclusive classroom should be the goal of every teacher. Research shows that when the classroom is full of trust and safety, the brain is more receptive to learning new content because it uses energy to focus on what is being taught, not expends energy on other outside conditions. We also know that these same classrooms are becoming more culturally, linguistically, and economically diverse, which can be a challenge for teachers to learn how to navigate. What does it take to create a safe space and respectful environment for all kiddos to learn? Hi, I'm Erica Snyder, and I'm your host this week for Teach Talks, a podcast from your friends and colleagues at Teaching Channel. As you may have already guessed, this week we're talking about social and emotional learning, one of the key ways to build that safe environment for optimal student learning. Joining us today is 2013 Minnesota Teacher of the Year, Megan Hall, who serves as lead teacher in the social and emotional learning and service learning programs at Open World Learning Community in St. Paul Public Schools. She develops SEL curriculum and trains colleagues in effective homeroom pedagogies. Welcome, Megan, and thanks for being here today. Well, thanks, Erica. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Um, let's dive right in and um, find out a little bit about where you came from, your background, and how you became involved in social and emotional learning. Well, I first entered teaching at the school where I still teach today. As a student teacher, I found this beautiful little tiny school in the middle of a big bustling city where ever since the 1970s, teachers had been taking time out of every day for social and emotional learning. Now, back when I first started teaching, we didn't use that term. It didn't exist yet. We just called it advisory. And um, that approach had really started to blossom in the 1970s when people were starting to think about the affective components of teaching and making sure that students, all of them, felt comfortable and happy at school. And I just, I bought in right away. It felt so good to be in this school that um, when I finished student teaching and got a job somewhere else. I stayed in touch with everyone. And when my mentor retired, I applied for her job and um, eventually found that as new staff came into the school to maintain the integrity of the program, we really needed to have some organization, some curriculum writing. And so that's how I stepped up into the role of helping to lead the program. Right. So social and emotional learning is newer terminology, um, but it's also different from what some people do in advisories. So can you tell us a little bit about SEL um, and why it matters? So SEL explicitly builds and teaches positive psychological traits. And the field of positive psychology came out of um, the idea of emotional intelligence and personality psychology. And we started to see through the research that when people, including young people, but all people, can demonstrate conscientiousness or perseverance or awareness of other people, that they not only do better in school, but they also have quite a few quality of life metrics that improve. So to back up a little bit, if we're in school, we can instruct SEL either explicitly, like I do in my advisory setting, mm -hmm. or implicitly by establishing a certain type of classroom culture. And when we do that, we see these skills grow. They're very plastic, very learnable. And then when that happens, kids that have those SEL school, uh, skills um, have on average an 11% gain academically. That's like a percentile jump in their, um, in their, you know, just their standardized test scores. But we also see that long term, they are more likely to graduate. They're more likely to keep and succeed at a great job. They make more money. They stay out of prison, they stay married longer, and they even live longer lives. So we see that SEL now, when we teach it explicitly in particular, not only do kids do better in school, but they do better in life. Yeah, and this has been in the news a lot lately, um, 
with conversations around grit um, and what that looks like for certain students and for specific populations. Um, and and it's it's a popular topic in education right now, right? Like, how do we do this for kiddos? Um, but I think that's the question most people are asking. Like, okay, great. So how do I actually do this for kiddos? So could you tell us a little bit about what um, what you specifically do in your program? Because I know yours is, is done um, outside of the typical classroom setting in an advisory situation. So what does that look like? And then um, and then for teachers just who want to get started, how do they take that, that first step to infuse SEL in the classroom? Awesome questions. So in my setting, we have a certain course, and it's an advisory course, but we call it CREW because our school, Open World Learning Community, belongs to the EL Education Network, which is an approach to learning and teaching that stems from the Outward Bound philosophy. And Kurt Hahn, who founded Outward Bound, was famous for saying, we are crew, not passengers. Nobody is allowed to be a passenger. We are all members of the ship's crew. So in our crew class every day, we get together and we sit in a circle and we do a few, like you were saying in the intro, like making a safe space things. Mm -hmm. We share about our weekends. We call each other by name. We take time to greet each other and find out how everyone's doing. And then we do these targeted lessons that approach those SEL skills very explicitly. Like for example, we, we teach perseverance in crew, and in our, in our school, one of the components that we feel is essential for perseverance is accepting feedback and making revisions to work and thinking. And so we'll play a game that is not that easy to solve. It's kind of like a difficult puzzle, and different kids will get little snippets of how to solve the puzzle, and they'll be helping each other figure it out. They have to incorporate what other people are saying to solve the game. Now, there's not a lot at stake here. Kids' grades aren't writing on whether or not they succeed at the game, but they're getting a chance to practice taking feedback and applying it. It's a very baby step approach. But the idea is that if kids are in that safe space where they're relaxed and connected, and they can practice trying something over and over again, something like accepting feedback, they'll transfer that skill in their academic life. So that's one way of teaching social and emotional skills directly. Um, and we do that throughout the year. We meet every day for about 50 minutes throughout the entire school year. And that's great. And I feel very fortunate to be in a school where we actually have time set aside for something like crew. But I know that that's not the norm. And I would suggest that teachers who are wanting to just take that first step into social and emotional learning so think about, and I really think perseverance is the most important skill to focus on, and grit, you know, is the trendy word. Conscientiousness was really popular for a few decades before that. But I'm going to use the word perseverance because I think it's all-encompassing. I like that. Um, I, think, I think the first thing a teacher can do is be very, very clear about what they need to do in their class to succeed. And then to also bring in a lot of warmth and caring so that students know that their teachers believe that they can meet those high standards. So, um, you know, if you want a kid to be gritty and if you want a kid to persevere, it's probably a good idea to make sure that you have the road laid out for them and it's going to be pretty obvious to them what steps they should take while they're not giving up. You don't want to set a brick wall in front of a kid and just tell them to bang their head against it. You want to give them a mountain to climb with some footholds and handholds. So we all know from best practicing how to scaffold instruction, how to make you know steps to, that kids can take to achieve a long-term goal. And I think the very first thing a teacher should do is 
you know, make sure that their teaching is very clear so that kids that are trying out perseverance have a really good chance of seeing it pay off and that positive feedback will encourage the kids to continue and then cement that perseverance skill. Right, because there's nothing that's going to break down that trust or that safe environment more than, you know, leading them to the path and then just saying, ha, just kidding, you can't get through this barrier. Um, so being really transparent about what it is you're trying to do is going to help build that trust in that safe environment so that you can do the harder work and, and include kids, um, all kids, further yeah. down the pathway. And I think it can feel frustrating sometimes. It can feel like hand-holding. But I think it's important for us to remember that Kids don't see our classes the way that we teachers see our classes. They have a very different viewpoint of what's mm -hmm. happening. It's their first time in this classroom. It's their first time in this subject a lot of the time. And so, yeah, we need to be right there by their side. We can't do the work for them, but we need to cheer them on. And we're their coach, right? We have to be on the sidelines all the time looking at them in the eye and saying, don't give up. I know it, it, it's so hard sometimes. I know your brain hurts, but you can't give up. Yeah. And so you mentioned in your role that you all had to sort of design curriculums, specific curriculums, so that students um, could engage in these practices in a safe space. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you how you designed and made changes to curriculum so that you could start seeing these incremental shifts and, and including um, SEL also outside of the advisor class and what that looks like inside of, of the classroom in general? Absolutely. Um, the first tool that all the teachers in our school got, and this was many, many years ago, was we all got to go to this really great training from a company called Origins, and I don't have any affiliation with them except as a satisfied trainee, <laughs> so they're not paying me to say this. Okay. They did a wonderful professional development that, at the time, every single teacher in our school attended. And back then, we were a K-12 school, so we had elementary teachers, we had seniors, you know, the teachers who teach seniors all together. And Origins does a couple of different trainings. They do something called Responsive Classroom, which is very popular here in Minnesota. Origins is based out of Minneapolis. And um, in Responsive Classroom, we see the Monday morning meeting where you know all the kindergartners or third graders sit in a circle to begin their week and they greet each other, they share something, they might talk about the news or do a short reading, and then they might have an activity that helps launch, it, launch the day. Um, and Origins also has, at that time, it was only for middle school program called Developmental Designs, and they have expanded it now to high school. I have not had that training myself, but it does exist. And that approach incorporates that morning meeting idea, but also has a student-centered behavior management approach or a sort of a restorative justice approach to managing classroom behavior, where teachers are not crystal clear just about what we expect in terms of academics, but we model and reinforce positively, and then also mediate when necessary all the social interactions that are happening in our classroom. A lot of peer-to-peer -peer interactions, but also student-teacher interactions. So Origins laid the groundwork for us in terms of a way of thinking about classroom culture. And then when our school became a member of the EL Education Network, we decided to have five habits of work and learning that we'd ask all of our students to achieve by graduation. And the teachers hashed this out. We had a conversation for about an entire summer about what our five characteristics mm -hmm. should be. And it's interesting because I've seen that same conversation play out now in the SEL community. And different organizations have different traits or positive psychological characteristics or whatever you want to call them. 
R's are integrity, perseverance, responsibility, collaboration, and stewardship. And this is, this is a pretty typical teacher. conversation within the deeper learning network in general, um, which in general tries to include a lot of SEL in, in these habits and the thinking that each different um, network comes up with, like EL. Which is EL education, formerly known as expeditionary learning, for those who are listening, because we haven't exactly clarified that yet. Yeah. So, I mean, it, no matter what you call them, I think having very specific goals for what SEL skills you want to teach is key. So first from origins, we got an approach to the classroom culture. And second, from expeditionary learning, we had guidance in selecting which traits we were going to aim for. And then our teaching staff broke down those traits into supporting targets. We wrote learning targets and supporting targets. And then we just decided we need lessons. And so the teachers just sat down and started hammering out lessons. We developed our own, um, how can I say this, our own template, I guess you would say, our own lesson plan template for how Mm -hmm. we wanted those lessons to go. And they are, they're sort of a blend of the expeditionary learning approach and the origins approach. So we always start with a greeting, we always continue with a share, but then we have a reading. And a lot of the readings we pick come out of the Outward Bound inspirational readings book, somehow ties into the supporting target. We then do some kind of initiative, and I have a colleague who does a beautiful job saying the difference between an initiative and a game is that you always be brief in initiative and tie it back in to the learning target. And then to make sure it's initiative and not a game, we close the lesson with another short discussion that just makes that connection between what we did that was fun and it was a game, but what's the point? What skill is this teaching for your your bigger life? So that's how our curriculum emerged. It's kind of a long story, but started out with origins training and then with the EL framework became um, became this structured lesson that we used to build our own library, our own curriculum library. Well, and there's two things that I heard you say there. One is, um, number one, this is going to take, this might be more than two things, actually. Uh, this is going to take some time, right? So if people are doing this from a whole school implementation or even an individual implementation, you got to make some changes and you got to commit to what those changes look like um, and then honor the time that it's going to take to make changes, um, which I think is something that's really important for teachers to walk away with, right? That if I want to start including um, SEL into my classroom, um, I have to be really intentional about it. Um, and I also heard you mention, you know, the, the tying it back in for students, again, clearing that pathway and making sure it's really clear for kiddos why you're doing what you're doing. That we're playing a game, yes, but we also have this reflective part that's going to tie it all together and bring it back into those habits that you all decided on as a staff were so important to implement in, in your school. Absolutely. It's a huge commitment. Introducing this whole new element of learning it's, it's like adding a whole nother prep. And it, no, nobody wants to hear that. It's not a popular thing to say. But it's a big deal. And a lot of teachers don't have training in affective education. It's a whole other situation. I mean, I'm a science teacher, and it's very different to teach a kid the parts of a cell than to teach a kid, you know, the components of conscientiousness. They're so different. Or how to, how to feel deeper empathy. Very different from a lesson on, you know, the structure of DNA. Um, the, the nice thing about that big leap, though, is that usually in a school, it's a shared prep. Mm-hmm. So my school, um, we have a little bit over 20 crews, um, but they're all mixed age. They're all grades 6 through 12, which I think is so important to have a really nice mix of kids. They're very different, um, and we very carefully balance the boat for race and gender, special education designation. Um, 
But that means that I have a 612 crew and my neighbor down the hallway has a 612 crew and the neighbor after that has a 612 crew. So we can divide and conquer. I don't have to personally write 185 crew lessons to get through the year. I can write a handful and my neighbor can write a handful and my neighbor down the hallway can write a handful. It does take time, but it is possible to collaborate and lighten the load a little bit with many hands. So for teachers that don't necessarily have that support of a whole building and just want to get started, do you have any resources that you can recommend for them to, to start with in order to, to dive into SEL a little bit at a time? Absolutely. Yes, there is a wonderful article that came out from the American Institutes of Research. Yoder um, is the primary author, and I believe it's on the resources list for this podcast. And um, they were talking about how we need to include some kind of social-emotional component in teacher evaluation. Um, and in doing so, they defined 10 regular classroom teaching practices, so not in a special advisory setting, but just in a regular classroom. So this is perfect for teachers that don't have that structural support of a separate time each day. Um, and there's that, that list of 10 includes things like classroom discussions, cooperative learning, a warm and supportive attitude from the teacher, offering some responsibility and choice to students, or balancing instruction with a variety of methods. So my advice to a teacher that's trying this by themselves and maybe doesn't have a huge community of support surrounding them is to take a look at that list and pick something that feels accessible, that feels like a good fit. And just get really good at that one thing. Become that warm, supportive teacher that every student who enters your classroom knows that you believe in them. Or maybe work on your teacher language and be impeccably inclusive in how you talk to students so that you, they know that you see all of them succeeding and that you see all of them for who they are. There is also academic press and expectations. So if it's a better fit for a teacher to be that really hard-nosed, high expectations teacher, do it. Doesn't mean you don't support your kids, it doesn't mean you don't scaffold, but that is actually academic press as a part of SEL, having a, a really achievable but audacious goal for every kid. That's a part of building their, their grit and their conscientiousness and their perseverance. Um, and we will also include all of the links uh, um, that you mentioned in the podcast description. Um, but when we were talking earlier, you mentioned a little bit of um, the, a call to action to our community. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what you were hoping to learn coming from those that are listening today um, about SEL practices? Yes, Erica, I would so love it if there are any other high school teachers out there that teach SEL. Please share what you're doing because there's lots of programs out there that are nationally recognized for elementary and middle school social emotional learning. But there's not a lot out there for high school. And I think we need to get together and organize and make it clear that ninth through 12th graders need this too and that there are quality programs out there. I just feel like we're a little bit scattered and we aren't as cohesive. Um, CASEL, which is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, evaluates SEL programs. And they don't have any high school programs that they've evaluated. So it's time for us to get the word out about what's already happening so that we can start to connect and communicate and build a stronger network for the social emotional needs of our ninth through 12th grade students. Megan, on behalf of those here at Teaching Channel, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, what a treat. I'm so thrilled that we get to talk about this topic and I'm excited to hear what everyone's responses are to the call to action. 
Yeah, for sure. We are grateful to you for sharing how you infuse SEL into your classroom. And for those of you who are listening, we will put the links to the resources Megan mentioned in the podcast description so that you can access them via your podcast app. You can get in touch with Megan um, directly on Twitter at Megan Olivia Hall, all one word, or you can contact me, Erica Snyder, at Snyder underscore Erica, um, or hit us up at Teaching Channel, all one word again. If you have any resources to share, particularly at the high school level, or just want to let our community know what you're doing to include SEL in the classroom, please tweet us and tweet Megan um, at Teaching Channel and again at Megan Olivia Hall. Thanks so much for joining us. Megan, thanks again, and we'll talk to you all soon.